Hi, welcome to the Ghostman Radio Station. And tonight my guest is Tony Chapman. Who is Tony? Well, he's worked with hundreds of corporations and government agencies, including U.S. Secret Service, Chase Bank, Estee Laura, NOAAA, and NASA. Help people reach new heights of effectiveness by understanding themselves and others better. As a leadership keynote speaker, his passion is contagious. His messages provide practical, usable knowledge and people implement immediately for business and personal success. The ability to help leaders, team members, people from every background and diversity adopt empowering mindsets and strategies, allow them to adapt, reinvent and transform results of produced both personally and professionally. Recognised in its stage presence and intensity, it lives the kind of results that constantly gamer, outstanding and enthusiastic reviews. Profound ability to connect with every audience member who says that they come away feeling that he spoke directly to them and impacted by his message. And he is here tonight um, with his NASA hat on, I noticed. Um, and I'll tell you, tell me a little bit about your a little bit about your background. Obviously, you can't give away too much because uh, international secrets and all that. But uh, just tell me a little bit about your past and that. Sure, I graduated college or university as a chemical engineer. I did that for a number of years. I worked mostly in manufacturing. Afterwards, I left and wanted to really work in nonprofit and change the world and all those fun things. And so my wife and I decided after getting married that we would pursue that. We did it for about a decade. You know, the problem with nonprofit is it's nonprofit. There's no money, right? So at some point we decided to move on from there. And I started to realize that when I looked at what has consistently made me successful has been a few very simple things. My ability to communicate, my ability to connect with people, and my ability to take what seems like very complex things and communicate them in a very simple way, kind of just break them down. And so that has been what's led me into this world of speaking and training. I do a lot of work for the U.S. government, you know, probably more than 80%, and that's pretty much across the entire government, whether it's um, as you mentioned, you know, uh, NSA or Homeland Security, but, you know, the EPA, all those others. And I do a lot of work in corporate as well, and that's really starting to level out a lot more. So that's kind of my story. That's it. Now, when you, obviously, at the moment, you have to do most of your, I would think, keynote presentations via Zoom or Web WebNow or whatever service you use. Now, um, when you do your talks, how do you, what do you include in them, and do you cover um, how it, the history of what you, um, influence of uh, the, the organization and stuff like that? You know, it varies. So normally organizations bring me in for one of three things. Leadership, how an organization can deal with and navigate change or something around the world of bias, inclusion, all of that fun stuff. 
there is a level to which the topics are tailored for the organization, but really most companies bring me in because I'm the subject matter expert. I'm the, the go-to person, and they give me the freedom to do whatever I want to do or need to do. You know, obviously, we have pre-workshop or speech conversations, partially to make sure it's a good fit because I'm not going to work with just any old body, and not everyone's going to want to hire me. But once we figure out that it's a good fit, there's a little bit of tailoring, but often it's not very much because people are people. And I'm all about fixing people. And so, you know, that's pretty universal. And I'm obviously, the, the thing about bias at the moment is quite prevalent because obviously we've had the Black Lives Matters movement. Probably more powerful in America than it has been over here. We sort of had it. It sort of disappeared, I think, as such. Probably because we don't relate to it so much. I know that there is bias over here, I'm not saying there isn't, but it isn't as prevalent as it's seen in America, or perceived in America. I don't know because I don't live there, so I can't say. Yeah, you know, here's the thing. I mean, it, it, it would depend on who you talk to. I mean, I, I have some friends who are in the speaking world in the UK, and they, they may feel that it's a lot more prevalent than others do. I think here's what happens. We're in the middle of a pandemic. People are at home. George Floyd happens. Really, it was a combination of Mott Aubrey, George Floyd, and George Floyd happens the day after Amy Cooper calls the police on a man who was at Central Park, right? And so you kind of have this connection between the two. Everyone goes up in arms, I think especially because we are in a pandemic and quarantine and people got to really not have all the other distractions. And so it became the hot topic. But then the challenge, I think, is not just in the U.K. that has died down. It's all around the world. What's happened is it was a fad, right? It was a hot topic to talk about how people made Black Lives Matter statements. But then when you look at, for a lot of these organizations, what have they actually done? It's not much. And that's pretty much been the problem for decades is there's often a, an expression and a small, hey, we'll do this. But then when you look at tangible results, that is often the part that's lagging behind. What do you perceive about taking down a statues or old books that have obviously what we would term offensive language now because of certain words? I won't say the word because it can be offensive, so I won't say it. But do you think we should keep them, A, in the book, and just say this book contains language that's no longer appropriate, or should we take them all out? You know, my opinion, and I certainly don't speak for everyone, I have a, my own opinion that I've formed, my opinion, number one, books and statues are a different animal, right? Uh, books, if you have a book like, you know, Mark Twain, and it has, you know, uses the N-word a lot, Taking that out of the book, really, I don't think that that's valuable because it is a reflection of the period in which that book was written. And so I think that if we start to over-edit or, you know, if, if, we, if, we, if we don't allow those books to remain true to what they actually said, then we do a disservice to not only literature but to history and our understanding of those time periods. 
statues are a bit different. You know, here in the U.S., a lot of the statues, especially the ones that were taken down, there's a couple of problems with them. Most of them were Civil War statues, but they weren't Civil War statues that were put up during or right after the Civil War. They happened after Reconstruction and after, basically at a time in which the Ku Klux Klan was coming back into power and at a time when uh, Jim Crow, and I'm not sure how familiar you are with the Jim Crow laws in the U.S., but, but basically racism was making a big resurgence in the U.S. And so those statues, A, they were in no way there as a reflection of history. They were a, we are trying to reassert our supremacy or reassert our racism. I think the second part of it is they're completely inaccurate in their rewriting of history. So those who say that we should keep them up for the sake of preserving history, it's keeping them up for preserving a lie. So I think you have a couple of options. Option one, which probably is the best option, is put them in a museum where they can be put into their true historical context. Option number two, change the inscription so that you can have the true historical context and instead of saying someone was a Confederate general, say that they were actually part of um, a treasonous group against the United States, or C, take them down. I think that if you're really going to be true to history and true to people, those are really your options. The other thing is, if I just want to bring it up, because obviously, I'm, you know, because countries differ from di <coughs> different ways, as we say. We may speak the same language, but we don't have the same attitudes. <laughs> sure, yeah. Well, and let, let me put it this way. I think this would be helpful for you and your listeners, and, you know, depending on where they are, whatever. All of my life, if I'm in a car or in an area and I see a Confederate flag, it communicates something very specific to me. It, could, it really does communicate, hey, you're not welcome here, you're not wanted here, you're less than a full person in our eyes, and it is very similar to the swastika in Nazi Germany. And so, you know, I think there's that context has to be brought in because I think people look at it as, well, it's just a flag, it's just a statue, and, you know, it's traumatizing for a large portion of our population. Yeah, hopefully there will come a time when these things don't exist, but I think we've got, I think it's a bit like Star Trek. You remember in Star Trek there was an episode where they had a black face, a white face, and a white face, and one was vice versa, and... They, it was the first episode that sort of um, tackled racism. And uh -huh. They couldn't get on because one had a, one was blackface the left side, one was blackface the right side. I think that's right. I can't remember. I might have got yeah, that wrong, I but I, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I can't remember, and that's an interesting thing because number one. <laughs> TV shows have tried to address this before, but what's really interesting is there's a really cool virtual reality thing going on right now where they're, they're seeing that, allowing people to go into VR and take on a different race and actually having an impact on their perception of 
you know, other people. So, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And also you cover a lot of things like you say, transformative transition. That's a really long word. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it sounded really cool when I wrote it. Um, yeah, you know, look, it's, it's about the fact that when we go through change, it's not the change that, that really does the damage. It's what you and I actually have to go through, right? It's not that when we move from one house to another or one flat to another, it's not the physical moving that's the challenge. It's the uprooting of our lives. It's the relationships that change. It's the emotional change that goes on. It's all of those different components. It's that we don't know where anything is anymore. And the same thing happens in almost every change in our life, lives. It's whether it's business, whether it's personal, that it's not the actual change. And that's what organizations get wrong. They think, oh, we're going to make this change and it makes sense and everybody will love it. Yeah, you, whether or not people will love it may not matter because you've just uprooted their entire comfort zone. And so, you know, helping people understand how do they go through that and then help companies figure out how to better manage that and how to prepare people for that transition is really helpful. I think it's very related to COVID, as you said earlier about COVID. You know, it, it's made us all uh, question our freedoms as such. You know, whatever fr freedom we keep going on about. Because basically most people get up, go to work, come home, go to sleep, go out weekend. That's probably what average day for most people. And I, I think when we realise we've suddenly got to stay in and we, we've got to be with ourselves, I think we're scared of our own selves. I think we've... When you look at yourself, you're thinking, what have I done with my life? Yeah. I mean, look, the deal is, I think COVID has made people reassess their lives, reevaluate what's important, and there's been a premature desire to get back to normal. That's why the phrase new normal has become so popular. But, yeah, I think it's one of those disruptions that's actually necessary for us to go back and say, okay, what's what's really important and what are our freedoms? And look, am I really rushing back to do exactly what you said, go to work and go to the bar? Is that really what's so important or is there more to my life that will make it valuable? And, you know, truthfully, COVID has been, you know, a hot topic for me to talk to organizations about because figuring out how do we deal with people working from home? How do we deal with people under stress? How do we deal with people, you know, who are homeschooling their kids? How do we deal with this fact we're doing all this, we can't see our customers face-to-face? -face. It's all of it together. It's been, like, wrapped up in this perfect storm that now we're forced to deal with. And I believe for some people it's going to, to positively change who they are. For some people they're going to go back exactly who they were and do you think that, uh, that a lot of organizations because they've been caught in the past they don't and now they've been forced to change into the internet world of zoom and talking to people through the internet and they've had to do most of their work through the internet do you think they've embraced the internet shopping and the way we do things a bit better than they used to at first i did <laughs> 
at first I thought, okay, everybody's really getting it, because they had to, right? They had to, yeah. to deal with the fact that people have to remote work remotely. Yeah. They have to, you know, figure all this stuff out. But now I'm yeah. wondering. I think there are some companies that have embraced it, and they're they're going to make a major shift. I was talking to someone whose company offered them a certain amount of money to yeah. put on an addition to their home. Right, this will be your work from home space, and you're never coming back in the office. We don't need you to do that. Uh, I know other organizations who sent letters saying, "Hey, when this is all over, you got to move back to the city that we're in, or you're not going to have a job." So, unfortunately, there's not one uh, answer to that question. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, so it's going to be a very interesting world because I think it, I don't think we're in for a normal, normal or whatever the word is for a long time yet. I think it's going to be staying around for a long time. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not a scientist. I have no idea. Yeah. I can see I'm in not, history. I don't have any idea what it. Sorry, go ahead. Can, if you study history, you can see how long these things tend to last. Yes, right, right. like the Spanish flu of 1918 here in the U.S. But you know, it, kind of anywhere, and yeah. I don't think that we're going to get a new normal anytime soon, and I don't think this is going to be the last go-round of something like this. You know, I think pandemics are going to become something we have to learn to live with as we're a more globally connected world. Now, I think the next subject relates quite well to the political situation at the moment. How to lead teams where everybody wins. Everybody <laughs> wins. I, I'm not being, I, I'm not mentioning a name, but somebody over your side isn't accepting the he lost <laughs> very well. <laughs> I'm not saying our politicians are any better, but he's come across a bit of a quarry baby over here. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I don't think that that's a new uh, revelation for anyone. He's basically stick sticking to the script that he's had for years. So, yeah, it's... Listen, here's the deal. It's a mess over here. It's a real real mess. It's a mess that's been building now for a good four years and actually longer, and the changing of a presidential administration is, although it's going to maybe help, it is not going to fix this mess. We're going to be in a mess for a long time. The same over here, because they keep on about the economy and we shouldn't be in tier systems that, you know, like whatever one, level two, level three, we should be Basically, shouldn't have that because they're too severe. It's a bit like a mini lockdown. Bloody, bloody, bloody. But you hear the same conversation, but you never hear of any other solutions. Do you get the same over right. there? Right, right. You know, and that's. I, I think there are some solutions being presented. I don't even think there's a full grasp of the problem. And the the, the bigger issue is we're such. You know, like most countries, we're such a divided and polarized country. I shouldn't say like most countries, but like a number of countries that, you know, you have to have a solution that benefits more than just one side of people. And most people are coming to the table with, here's what's going to benefit the right. Here's what's going to benefit the left. And there are solutions that benefit both, but they're not fully being communicated that way. And so, you know, people aren't going to buy into something that doesn't benefit them. That's just the way it's going to be. 
Well, that is a shame. I really think that these, we could, the politicians could have all join together and really made a difference. As I let you got working through decades of of differences, because we've got yeah. a perfect chance now to all join. I mean, we've all joined together for the vaccines. Whether there might be a battle later on, for saying we vented it first, so you have to pay for it. I don't know, but at the moment, I'm only saying at the moment. Most of them are going to free free, but when people realise that they're available, I think there's going to be a bit of free for all. Oh yeah, the system's not here in the U.S. The system is clearly not ready to handle distributing all of the vaccine when it gets here. We're not even ready to store it. To be honest with you, and. Yeah, you know, but, you know, going back to the part you said, it's a travesty that we don't have here in the U.S. a political group, a political system that can put aside their differences in moments of challenge and trial for the betterment of our country. Just, that's not what we have right now. And... I do believe that we have a better shot with it, the new administration coming in, but, you know, that's unfortunately, except for a few small things like, you know, small, World War I, World War II, 9-11, you know, a few things like that, we're not a country that's good at coming together. That's not what we do. Yeah, it's a strange one. Now let's talk about your book, young man. The False Multiplier. How to lead teams where everyone wins. Now, I'm going to get the book. What would I gain out of it as a business, in a business environment? I've just started my own business, say for instance. And I want to learn basics about management, leadership, what I should do about bias and things like that. What would I gain from your book? Okay, well, first, I appreciate you calling me young man. That's a, I'll take that compliment any day. Uh, in terms of, okay, so here's the deal. And it's just like working in the real world. It's like having a job. If you're an entrepreneur and you started a business, most likely you have a, a business idea. You invented something. You have a service you're doing, whatever. The problem is there's a different skill set of being an entrepreneur than there is of being a leader. And people think that, well, I'll just you know naturally figure out the leadership thing, and you don't. And so what happens is your leadership ends up being the very thing that keeps you from being successful. So what you get out of the book is a very straightforward how-to of how to lead people regardless of whether or not you have the ability to hire and fire them, all these other things. This is how do you influence people? How do you get them to want to work together? How do you get them to want to work with you? How do you get them to want to be engaged? And how do you do things like delegate? How do you reward? How do you deal with conflict? And how do you deal with the fact that you have a lot of different personalities coming together in one organization? And it really is set up to be, I was going through traveling the country, training leaders and training new leaders and everything else. 
And I kept seeing the exact same problems over and over again and realized, although there are a lot of leadership books out there, what people need is a, here's how you do this and here's how you work with people. And the people who actually read the book have realized it won't just help you at work. It helps you at home. It helps you in your community because it helps you to connect with people and relate to them, not just based on your similarities, but including your differences and how to leverage them. Do you think it's always good to admit your differences and sort of work a, a compromise between you? But I don't even think it's about compromise. I think it's, it's understanding that we have differences and working out how that relationship then benefits us both. You know, the fact that I am a very creative, big idea, you know, super motivated, want to take over the world, optimistic person, and someone else is a very, you know, hey, let's do things in a very incremental way. I want to go through the details. I don't like a lot of risk. There's not a, it's not about compromise. It's about figuring out how to work together. I need that person who's who's more reserved and more detail-oriented to advise me and to see the things that I don't see, and they need me. And the more we understand that it's not just about compromise, but that we actually need each other, and if we figure out how to work with each other while respecting that, that we'll both benefit and the organization benefits, that's really a huge key. I did like the premises of your book. I, I sort of read the blurb, which I always do. And I like the fact what you said about helping people out, making it people more effective, leading people and all that. I think there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's very good. And you've got very good reviews. Because I looked at the reviews, you've got quite a lot of five-star reviews. Yeah. So that's always a good sign. And I don't think people give you a five-star just for the sake of it anymore. I think people, because no. I've had books reviewed, I had one book review and someone gave me three stars and then put down a little criticism. I thought, fair enough, I don't mind. Now, if someone's going to be critical and it's a genuine reason, you know, oh, you should have said this a bit, you should have made it a bit more clear, blah, blah, blah. That's okay. But if they're going to just be critical going, oh, I read the book, but I'm not a business person. What do I gain out of it? You think, well, you didn't read the book then. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And, you know, there's, number one, you know, my goal was not to just write a book, but to write a good, helpful book. And I think that I accomplished that. And so, you know, I'm proud of the reviews. You know, I want to definitely get more of them, but I'm very proud of the reviews and the reception. I mean, there are organizations that have now taken, actually there's a, a university that has now put the book as part of its Masters and Doctorate of Education programs because they wanted their people who were going to go lead universities to be better leaders, and so my books required leading, required reading for them. So that's, a, that's quite a know, very high achievement, isn't it? That's well deserved. Yeah, you should know, be proud of that. It's, it's a huge thing. I'm very excited about it. But I think, just like you said, I mean, we live in a world in which, you know, yeah, reviews are a big deal, and. People have no problem saying what they don't like about your stuff, whether it's valid or not. I mean, that's oh, just I get that a lot. Yeah. I get, I get yeah. what I get is, 
But like when you made a query about what would you be okay for the show, and I said, yeah, I've got lots of people interviewing my show. Various people go and check it out. And you think, oh, fair enough, that's up to them. And, you know, I like to talk to different people. And I like to keep it the way I keep it. I mean, most, nearly all my podcasts have ever done been on a smartphone and an Amazon Fire tablets. I'm not going to make it any more technical than that. And I'm not going to make it bells and whistles and whatever. And people don't like it. I don't care. I've got to say, I've got, I've got enough downloads to back it up, but I haven't got the followers. Sure. But, you know, here's the thing, because you asked me earlier about, you know, I'm probably doing a lot of my training in my, my speeches via Zoom and, and the Internet. Here's the thing. People are buying content. And good content beats flashy technology any day. And that's what I'm seeing, even with a lot of speakers. They're investing a lot of money in new cameras and new computers and better microphones and that's all great but if you're not a good speaker it doesn't matter you know and I think the same thing for the podcast it's people are listening to it because they like the content they like you you don't really have to go crazy with it to make it good I quite agree with you Tony because I think it's important how how you do an interview as you you said you can either do like I do like a more laid back effect you know I do I would do if someone sends me a load of questions to ask you, I'll do it. You know, I don't, I don't mind. But it's a bit robotic. You know, it's a bit not the same, even, you know, as a free-flow conversation. Because you can bring up subjects, you can say, oh, do you mind talking about that? You can go, well, no, oh, actually, I'll go on that tangent. No, I agree with you 100%. I actually prefer... I actually prefer... I mean, I, I have a set of questions I can send to people, and some people go through that. But I prefer podcasts that are a real conversation. I've probably been a guest on, I don't know, 35, 40 podcasts now, maybe more. And the best ones are always just conversations. We're talking, and we're talking about a subject that I know, so I don't have to do a lot of prep because it will be better if I just said what I know and what I really believe out of my heart and out of my mind than something that's scripted. But you can tell the difference between you know, a good conversation and a scripted podcast. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, I'm yeah. not good. The scripted I'm ones are very, forward. they stand out a lot more now. Because it's more like, yeah, Tony, I'm, how are you today? The first question is, how did you get on with publishing your book? Did you do it through Amazon or did you self-publish? Right, right. Well, even, well, you know, it's funny. is Even if they're good at reading it, like someone will ask me a question and I'll give an answer, and you'll think, oh my gosh, there's like five questions you should ask based on what I just said, and I'll just go on to whatever was the next question they had written down. I'm like, you just missed the whole thing, right? So that's the beauty of it. Well, hopefully I've covered most of the things you wanted to bring up today, don't we? Unless there's anything else you wish to bring up, I don't mind. No, I had no plan. I wanted to see what we talked about. This has actually been a great conversation. I wasn't expecting to talk about politics and, you know, COVID and all this statues well, whatever, co- Most of what you do sort of covers it in a roundabout way, if you look at it. You well, know, that's why I look at it. Well, no, it does, and that's what I thought was good about it. it I wasn't expecting to do it, but it made sense. It's a good conversation. I appreciate it. I have nothing specific that I really want to add. 
Now, yeah, uh, everybody now, should go buy my book. How's that? Yeah, yeah, well, I, I would advise that. <laughs> Tony, please. Well, you know what? There is, there is one thing I want to talk about. Okay, then. So, something I've been thinking about a lot, and it's probably going to affect the direction that I move forward business-wise and personally over the next few years. I think it's important to talk about leadership. I think it's important to talk about change. I think it's important to talk about um, bias and all this stuff. But the truth is, if a person does not like people, I can't fix that in, in a leadership book. If a person does not want diversity and inclusion, I can't fix that in a book. Well, maybe I can't. I can address it. And the truth is, many of the issues that we deal with are more of a function of the fact that people aren't whole, that they need to address you know, baggage in their life, their past, and they're really leading, living out of their insecurities. And so a lot of times when you have bad leaders, yeah, part of the skill set, but part of it is they're insecure. A lot of times when you have bad teams, it's insecurity, it's territorialism, it's people working in silos, it's backbiting, it's envy. You know, and I'm really looking more and more at how do you fix people, right? How do you address it so that people are just better people? Because better people make better leaders. And better people go through change and disruption easier. And better people are more inclusive. And so I really have my mind on not just dealing with these subjects, because I'll still deal with those subjects, but I'm really working on and fascinated by making people better. And I think that should be a goal that a lot of us have. Now, please, Tony, please mention your website and where you can get your book. Sure. Website, TonyChapman.com, C-H-A-T is in Tom, M-A-N, one word, uh, so www.tonychapman.com. There's links to everything on my website, all my social media accounts, everything else. The book is on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, wherever you can find a book, you can find my book. So it's pretty much everywhere. That's that's the deal. Now, obviously, have you got any number of book in your head that you wish to get out? Two of them. <laughs> it's funny you'd say that. I'm starting to outline a book on bias, but kind of covering some of the stuff I just mentioned also is not just the, number one, when I think of bias, it's not just about race, right? It's about gender, it's about orientation, it's about nationality, it's about everything. And so how do we become more inclusive? And not just the how-tos and whys, but how do we become a more inclusive person? And so I'm actually outlining that book right now. And then on the heels of that, kind of a, a self-help book. You know, I, I had a, um, a product called Ordinary to Extraordinary. This was years ago, a motivational self-development product that went over really well. And that was before, I kind of was on the front end of this Ordinary to Extraordinary, you know, language. But I'm redesigning that into something more comprehensive. So I, I've got two books in my head, but the bias book, I've got to get out of there pretty quick. And what do you do for your spare time? Obviously, you have some spare time in your uh, life. 
actually, I don't have that much spare time. I've been crazy busy, honestly. I've got spare time for the next month and a half. But, you know, because I talk about disruption and we're in COVID, because I talk about bias and we've had national world conversation on race and inclusion, I've been surprisingly busy and expect to be like that for the next few years. Well, that's good. I think if I think that's why I like talking to you, people like you, don't Because we we've expressed our opinions; they may differ in some ways, but it's good because we've expressed them. We don't. We haven't had a heated debate. We haven't called each other names that we don't need to call each other because there's no need for it. You know, we we've agreed on certain facts, and if people look, listen and they can relate to what you said about. The um, the flag, I now can relate to the flag now, the Confederate flag. Sure. I relate to it more now because I didn't know that. I'm honest to say I never knew that. So if I learned one thing today, I've learned that, if nothing else. Yeah, and, and that, let me be honest with you, I applaud you for saying that. I wish more people could just say, wow, I didn't know. You know, it's, that learning thing is huge because I agree with you. It's not about us agreeing on everything. We, we can't. We're human beings. We're not supposed to agree on anything. But, you know, we can disagree on matters that aren't, you know, affecting the, the life and death of other people. We can disagree on situations and still, like, I have plenty of friends who, have, who are very different in their thinking of me. They're politically different. They're ideologically different. They're whatever. But we're friends. We have great conversations, and that has not affected our friendship. That's good. Now, this is a bit, Tony, I asked my guests the same question. Tony, what is your unique sign-off? My unique what? Sign-off. I don't have a unique sign-off. You should have one. It's, you know, yeah. Everybody should have one. You mean one. like by, by closing, what's the you know, last thing I say when you say sign-off? Is that what you mean by sign-off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, you know, no, like you... Um, convention uh, anything really like juggle sing play guitar oh gotcha 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 um I play bass guitar and most people do not know this about me but I'm a black belt in ninjutsu so in other words don't mess with me <laughs> hilarious now this one is for you, Tony. My unique sign-off for you is the following. Tony Chapman, Enterprises Leadership Transition Diversity Communication. He can talk about integrating bias in the workplace, leading people through transformative transition, which we found out about in the podcast. Please listen to that. Force Multiplier, How to Lead Teams Where Everyone Wins. Working... Mm through decades of differences. And, obviously, check out your book, which is The False Multiplier, How to Lead Teams Where Everybody Wins. And, obviously, everybody wins in the universe when we all learn to sort of get on. But as long as we have a decent argument and not a war, we're okay. Don't make it Lord of Flies, people. If you read a book, don't make it like that. <laughs> um, oh, can I say one thing? Yeah, I did think yeah, of a yeah. sign-off. 
treat everyone with dignity and respect, and eventually they'll do the same to you. Thank you very much. And that's something. Thank you.